And even the title of that hymn, Hallelujah, What a Savior, it stands in some ways as a, uh, a note of defiance. Um, I'm one that cherishes history and tradition. You know that about me. Um, I love doing things the way they ought to be done and that sort of thing, but that's one of the exceptions that I make is um, throughout the season of Lent, we're actually not supposed to use the word hallelujah because it means praise the Lord, and this is supposed to be a season of of, uh, sobriety and somberness and a time of reflection and not a time of celebration and, and excitement. It's typically associated with uh, being gloomy and dark. And, you know, we begin the Lenten season with Ash Wednesday being reminded that we will uh, one day die and one day stand before our Maker. And we end, as we began with the color of black, we end with the color of black. But yet, um, in some In some sense, I think it is righteous to have a bit of defiance in the face of death and declare, hallelujah, what a Savior. Um, If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 19. And in that 19th chapter of John's account of the gospel will be reading verses 17 through 30. The word of our Lord from the gospel says, And Jesus, bearing his cross went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, which read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. But many of the Jews read this title For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said therefore among themselves, Let us not tear it, but let's cast lots for it. Whose it shall be? The scriptures were fulfilled. They divided my garments among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour that disciple took her to his own home. And after this, Jesus, knowing 
that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. A vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it up to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray that you would graciously behold this to be your family, for whom Christ our Lord was willing to be betrayed, for whom Christ our Lord was willing to be given into the hands of sinners, and for whom Christ our Lord was willing to suffer death upon the cross. We pray this in the name of Him who now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Talking with the kids, I believe last night, we were talking about what Good Friday is, and I think it was Imogene's response to say, why is that good? You know, there's a, a paradoxical nature to this day that we call Good Friday. And I think it, it mirrors the paradoxical nature of the gospel. It was Paul, the apostle, who said that the gospel is foolishness. It is ludicrous to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the righteousness of God. He said... Jesus himself is a stone of stumbling for both Jews and Gentiles. He is a a criminal who got what he deserved to one and he is a fool dying for a fool's cause to the other. But in the cross, the glory of Christ is laid bare before the hatred of the world. God takes the cross, which is an emblem of suffering and shame, as the old hymn says, and He transforms it into the gospel of peace. It's interesting that we Christians sometimes wear crosses around our necks or have them imprinted upon our bodies. We hang them in our sanctuaries. We put them on the backs of our cars. And really, it, it would be the equivalent in our, in our society of having a needle on the backs of our cars or a, an electric chair in our sanctuaries. The cross was not just used for execution. It was used for the, the most horrible of painful and long-lasting executions. And God has made it to be the symbol of His love and His mercy. We see the cross and automatically we think the gospel. Good news. Jesus, I imagine, saw the cross and thought the good news comes at a great price. A painful 
an agonizing price. But this symbol of the gospel of peace declares to us a number of things. It declares to us, first of all, that demand for the cross is total. It reminds us of the thorough need we have for salvation. The prophet Isaiah said that Jesus was numbered among the transgressors, and John the Evangelist tells us not only that, but that he took the place of a criminal, Barabbas. If you look at chapter 18, you have Jesus before Pilate, And after their interchange where Jesus refuses hardly to speak to Pilate and Pilate tells him, don't you realize that your life is in my hands? And Jesus responds to him, it wouldn't be so if that weren't given to you. Pilate says, look, it's my custom at this wonderful feast to give back to you Jewish people, one of your criminals, Who would you like back? Whose life would you like to be spared? How about Jesus behind door number one? How about Barabbas, the criminal, behind door number two? They shouted, we want Barabbas, crucify Jesus. If that doesn't speak to us of the sick nature of sin, I don't know what else could. The demand for the cross is total. Our need is desperate. Our hearts are dark. But it's in that darkness and in that desperation that God bears to us His vast love for humanity. The cross also tells us of another declaration not only is the demand for the cross total but redemption in the cross is personal the cross speaks to us of the intimate nature of salvation God does not save from far off he comes near God does not save By divine fiat, where he simply says, it's okay, go about your business, I'll take care of things in the end. I'll clean up your mess. God steps into our mess, takes it into himself to redeem us. Salvation's personal. God personally steps into our world to redeem our world. John tells us of this little happening at the cross where the soldiers are gambling for Jesus' garments. They're free to, they're, they're, they're willing to split up evenly among themselves the four other garments, but when they get to the really costly one, the, the tunic that's a single thread, they decide, let's roll some dice and see which one of us wins. Which one of us is the lucky one. And not only does that take place, John also tells us that 
Jesus, as he is nailed to a cross and as he looks out upon those who are looking up to him as he dies, he notices three Marys. His mother, Mary. His mother's sister, that would be Aunt Mary. And then Mary Magdalene. And John says that Jesus thinks, who's going to care for my mother? He sees his, the disciple that he loved, presumably John. He says, behold your mother. And he looks over again to his mom and says, behold your son. Jesus' interest on the cross, even, even at the moment of death, is toward others. That's, that's crazy. That is unspeakable love. And that shows to us, while all that is going on is going on, the gambling for the garments, he cares not. He doesn't say, hey, wait a minute, that's mine. He doesn't say, make sure that tunic gets to John. He says, make sure that my mother is cared for. The cross speaks to us of God's selfless character. The cross tells us that the demand is total, that redemption is personal, but it tells us also that access to the cross is universal. It tells us of the open door of salvation. Pilate decides to hang his charge above his head. And so he makes a plaque, one that would read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And John tells us the interesting detail that it is in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. The three languages of their time. Hebrew reminds us of the means of God's salvation. God chose Israel, the Hebrew people, so that His Messiah might enter the world. Greek reminds us of the shape of salvation. It was into a Greek-speaking world, a, a, a Greek Hellenistic culture that God brought redemption. And Latin speaks to us of the context of salvation. In the midst of Roman power, in the midst of Roman authority, in the midst of Roman rule over God's very own people. God chose to redeem the world. And that redemption is open to all. 
whether we speak Hebrew, whether we speak Greek, whether we speak Latin, whether we speak Mandarin, Chinese, or English. Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no one comes to the Father but by me. But implicit in the cross is that all could come. God's gracious offer is available to all. gospel tells us that he's taken to Golgotha, the place of a skull. Sounds scary, doesn't it? Sounds wicked. The writer to the Hebrews says that he was taken outside the gates of Jerusalem. He encouraged us, let us go also outside the gate, bearing his reproach. He's led out of the city as one who is rejected, one who has been sentenced, and one who is to be banished. We would do well to be remindful of that odd book in the Old Testament, Leviticus. Because on the Day of Atonement, called Yom Kippur, there was a goat that Israel was to bring before itself. And the high priest was intended to go to that goat and to lay hands upon the goat's head and to speak all of Israel's sins. It must have been a long day. And the crazy thing is that goat was not then to be sacrificed. It was to be led out of the camp and sent on its way. It's interesting. Leviticus says, with a a trustable companion. Someone who could be trusted to make sure the goat gets where it's supposed to be going. The sins of the nation, the head of the goat, And that scapegoat was to bear the sins of Israel to an uninhabited land. He suffered outside the gate. Not inside the holy city. Judgment is outside. He suffered outside the gate. So as to redeem us and to bear our sins. We ought to call this day good. But we ought not do so flippantly or casually. We can only call this day good after we have stared long and hard at the price of our redemption. Only once we have gazed upon the cross and we've recognized first that it's not a thing of beauty, it is a thing of shame. It is a thing of suffering. It is a thing 
of death. Only then can we embrace it as something that has transformed us and made something beautiful of this cruel world. Only then. Let's pray.